the Monday Rewind. Sanchez low takes a deflection and it's a goal. It's 3 0. It's a second goal for Alexis Sanchez. Southampton have it in the edge of the United area. Through Tanich, slips it into the oh. oh, it's off the post. Back towards oh. Tanich. And Tanich has scored. Tanich puts Southampton one goal up. So you have waited on the moment that you can put this question. All the weeks. You have waited for the, put the, this question. At the moment that I have less points as David Morris. Oh, same. Oh. Well, a good day for Arsenal, but a bad one for Manchester United. We'll have more on United's loss with Stephen Reid and Kevin Kilban shortly. As well as all that, we look ahead to next weekend's Champions Cup games and we focus on Conor McGregor's UFC bout with Dennis Seavers which is a possible step towards a world title fight in Crow Park in May. And there's strong evidence to suggest that that event could take place in GAA headquarters. Stick with us. We've got GAA reaction from Rory Gallagher, Jimmy Barry Murphy, Derek McGrath, Brian Whelan and Michael Ryan. And we hear from now former Cork Camogie star Jennifer O'Leary on her retirement. Uh, plus there's National Cup basketball and kickboxing. First though, it's the Premier League and a review of Manchester United's 1-0 loss at home to Southampton, a result which leaves them fourth. The Saints, by the way, are third. Off the ball's match day commentator Dave McIntyre spoke to Stephen Reid and Kevin Kilbane. I think first and foremost, I know it might sound ridiculous to say, but I've just had a look at the league table and Southampton are sat on 39, 39 points after 21 games. Start the season, they're one or two favourites to go down. Let's not forget that. But they've come here today and they probably deserve their win. Man United, not one shot on target all game. No Southampton didn't create too much themselves with the one themselves but defended superbly which they've done all season and, and full value for their win Do they play exactly as you would have expected them and as you've seen them play all season with those three players in midfield and Wanyama, Schneiderlin and Davis giving them so much protection a back four that plays a unit seem to know exactly what their tasks and their jobs are and that gives them such a foundation to go on and win games Yeah, it, it does I, th- I think possibly today went a little bit more defensively Klein and Bertrand didn't get forward as much but that's natural coming to a place like Old Trafford you're going to do that but the same token the, the way they've set up with Schneidlin and Wanyama just sat in front of the, the back four if you like doing that defensive responsibility superb today but going forward as well James Ward-Prowse full of energy Peller up top just feeding off scraps but you know the difference for me if you can stay in the game nil-nil Old Trafford and then bring you maybe your more creative players on like Tadic he come on and had a real impact. He forgot his shirt. Let's, let's not forget that. He left his shirt in the dressing room, but that didn't affect him at all. He came on and he was superb. When you look at that Southampton team, the amount, number of really young players in there, like Nathaniel Klein, like Ward Prowse, who's come through the academy. He brought Harrison Reid off the bench, a 19-year-old who's come through the academy. And he seems to be meshing that with the experience of Pelle, who's 29, and Font at the back. And even losing someone of the calibre of Toby Alderweireld in the opening quarter of an hour just didn't seem to phase them. Well, that's just going to give him even, even more confidence, these young players. Obviously, with Ronald Koeman coming in in the summer, you, you doubted maybe whether they would have stuck to to keeping hold of the youth integrating the youth <laughs> but he's done that he's, he's still giving youth a chance he's got like you say Harrison Reed coming on he's got Ward Prowse who's almost a fulcrum in the midfield he's full of energy doing that job superbly so it's great to see you know, Kevin, Kil- Kevin Cabana's loitering with intent here uh, Stephen we might as well get a word from you Kevin uh, I talked to you at half time you, you, you weren't overly enamoured with the quality of the game it needed a goal well you got one in the end and it was decisive well I'll just listen to Stephen there yeah um, no, do you know what? They've come with a game plan, Southampton, today, and 
they restricted United a few chances Tadic um, scored a decisive goal of course but one Yama Snydling and the two centre-halves from Southampton outstanding performance particularly from those four and then they bring Fellaini on for the last 20 minutes and United go direct and it, it plays into Southampton's hands they've got two players that are capable of playing knockdown football United can't play knockdown football so overall you've got to just give full credit to Southampton it was a really good away performance from them we mentioned in commentary and off the ball the last 10-15 minutes United seemed to run out of ideas and it was route one football yeah. from the one, one of the most expensively assembled teams ever in the Premier League well it's route one and they're not capable of playing route one you know what you know, I think Steve and I probably would have both played in sides over the years where you, you know how to play knockdown football. You try and ring the ball, you try and get knockdowns. United weren't even organised playing like that, and it, and it just suited Southampton. They had players around the ball when it went long. If, if Fellaini did win the first ball, they had players that were capable of picking up the knockdowns from Southampton's point of view. And I think it was a, I think it was just a solid, good performance from them. Yeah. Is that a real reality check for Manchester United now, Stephen? If you think of that run of seven victories in a row, very few of those were overly convincing. I'm thinking really only the whole game that they looked like they were totally dominant and they've only won one of their last five now. There's been a lot of draws in there and now this defeat and maybe they aren't quite as good as people were saying during that run of 11 games unbeaten. Well, I think you're right. It's, looking at that performance today, it's probably hard to believe that the run they've had here at Old Trafford, 25 points from their last 27. It's an incredible run of form. Obviously got beat on the opening day of the season against Swansea but looking at performance today they a bit flat a little bit lacklustre Di Maria looked like he's not fully up to match speed at the moment and, and Matter was, was quite disappointing as well so yeah maybe it is a little bit of a wake up call still obviously time in this transfer window whether there's funds left to, to bring in one or two additions remains to be seen with the amount they've spent Six of the next seven games, Kevin, are against teams who are currently in the bottom half of the table. So they'll look to go on another run. But do you think that particularly the teams in Brighton behind them, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, will have looked at this and thought, you know, Manchester United are there for the taking. Everyone was already talking them as up as playing Champions League football next season. They're, they're hanging on in fourth place. Yeah, and you know, Stephen just mentioned there about the form they've been in. They have been in form at home particularly, but I don't think it's been convincing when I've seen them. But maybe, maybe at home they have been. When they've gone away from home, they haven't. I don't think they've, they've looked they've looked really like a side like particularly maybe the last four or five years that we've seen at United um, when I've played here at Old Trafford you know totally dominant in possession creating chance after chance United didn't didn't have a shot on target I don't think throughout did they in the, in the whole game today so that, that's, that perhaps says it all for United really when you're looking at United at the moment predictable when they come on when they go down say last 20 minutes of a match bringing Fellaini on and it's just it, it suits the sides that's playing in the lower half of the table if you can defend narrow like Southampton did defend deep so, you, so you're taking away Di Maria's pacing behind you. United didn't have much else, and that's and that's a testament to Southampton how they approach the match. Well, a lot of the storylines out of this game will be around Manchester United, which is doing Southampton a disservice. Let's give them the final word. If they were to qualify for the Champions League, where would that rank up in the list of managerial Premier League achievements by Ronald Koeman if they were to be playing in the top tier of European football next season? Well, if he, if he manages to achieve that, he's got to be in, in, the, in the running for potential manager of the year. I, I suppose uh, I've heard over the last couple of days one or two saying about Sean Dyche, perhaps, if we were to stay in the Premier League, that would probably be a similar achievement. I said to you about Southampton being on 39 points already after 21 games. I know it sounds ridiculous at the moment, but I think at the start of the season that would have been their target with the amount of players that they let go. So it's an incredible achievement so far if they are to maintain it, which I think they will. They've got the best defensive record in the Premier League after 21 games, and it's not like it's two or three games. Halfway through the season, to have that record is, is some going. 
Kevin, they, they had their blip. They didn't win a game for six games in all competitions. Maybe that blip is out of the way now, and yeah. they're back now. That's that's their sixth game without defeat. And yeah. you wonder, will there be another blip? If there isn't, they will be in the top four. Yeah, I mean, they went to Burnley, probably Stephen, at that game. It was one of the worst performances of the season from Southampton's point of view. I think Burnley played that game particularly well. I felt they should have taken something at the Emirates. They were unlucky to lose late on. They actually went down to ten men late on in that game. I think they should have they should have definitely taken something against Man United during that bad run. So you probably take away a couple of performances this season and overall I think it's largely been a, a, a very consistent season for Southampton so particularly with those two when Yarm and Snidely when them two are sat in front it's difficult for a side to get through them and that, they're, the, they're the key I think for, South, uh, for Southampton going forward and if they play like that with a bit of pace going up front as well they'll have Mane to come back after the African Nations as well um, overall strong strong squad yeah Finally Stephen you would look at Morgan Schneider and Ronald Koeman will be ha- pulling him aside and saying it's days like this that's why you need to stay at this club. Do not go on this window. If you want to play Champions League football, stay at St Mary's. Well, at the end of the day, you've got to be looking at the teams he's been linked with. Uh, Tottenham, perhaps. Arsenal, perhaps. Are they playing any better? Have they got as strong a squad as, as Southampton at the moment? Not so sure they are. He's going to be here. He's going to, if he stays at Southampton, he knows he's going to be you know, massive fish in, in that pond. He goes to one of these other clubs. There could be squad rotation. Is he going to play week in, week out? I'm not so sure at the now, moment. It looks like... Back though, you see him playing for Arsenal, couldn't you? You could see Snidlin playing in Arsenal's side, the yeah. position that he plays. And if he can treble his money, double his right. money, whatever it would be, money talks. And that's just the way that it is. If they get a bid for 30 million or whatever... Well, will they take be, it, do you think? They don't. Sure. As Stephen said in commentary, they've money left over. They certainly wouldn't need to lose him. They wouldn't need to accept the fee, would they? Yeah, I but think, a player knows oh, himself yeah. really, doesn't he? Yeah. He knows himself financially, what it means to him. Sorry. Yeah, I think, I think once, once a player decides that he wants to go, I still think... You know, the lure of maybe going to an Arsenal, maybe going to a Tottenham. Unfortunately for Southampton, still bigger clubs, still, you know, pulling bigger fans. And and like Kev says, money talks. And if he does treble his wages, then unfortunately that's the nature of the game. And it looks like he will be on his way. But performances like that, it's going to be harder and harder to keep hold of him. That's for sure. That's great stuff. Thanks a million. This is the Rewind Podcast and that was Stephen Reid and Kevin Kilban. Remember, if you've anything to say on that or any other subject, you can email us on mondayrewind at newstalk.com. Rugby now and there was a full programme of games over the weekend in the Pro 12 as Leinster, Munster and Ulster honed themselves for next weekend's Champions Cup while Connacht lost their unbeaten record at home this season, losing to Edinburgh by three points. They're up against Exeter next Sunday afternoon in the Challenge Cup at the Sports Ground. Rory O'Connor is the rugby correspondent with the Irish Independent and joins us now. Rory, we'll start with Munster's clash away to Saracens on Saturday. Ahead of that game, they have received some good news on on the injury front. Yeah, well, Keith Earl's uh, return and James Cronin's return will give them a, a big lift this week. They, um, you know, they're they're going over to this pitch in Allianz Park where the you know, it's a 4G surface. They're going to have to play a fast game, and the return of Keith Earls is is going to be will be huge for them. You know, and the fact that he's come through well, um, and Cronin just gives them a, a little bit of extra bulk in, in in the scrum department. So it's a huge week for them. They gave themselves a chance um, by getting that bonus point in Cla- in Claremont, and when they looked like they were completely dead, but they have to win over there. They have to go to to Saracens and, and beat last year's finalists, who aren't playing as well as they did last season, who aren't uh, you know as strong as they were. They, they lost at the weekend and. To, to Gloucester in, in the last minute at King's home, but they do win most of their games at the uh, at their home ground on that on that pitch. It gives them a major advantage. What about Munster? What do we take more from their win against Leinster or their loss against Connacht? Now they have played since. I mean, they played Zebra at the weekend and they won handily enough. But we imagine that there will be a lot of change from the starting fifteen that started in Italy. Uh, you'd imagine so. You'd, Paul O'Connell, Tommy O'Donnell, like those, will come back. 
they have a capacity to raise their game for big games like like Leinster um, and the, the big European games. So that they've they're a strange team. They've been a strange team for a couple of years now, where they they, they seem to have to have a big kind of backs against the wall um, game to to lift themselves. They the Pro 12 form has always been mixed for nearly you know two and a half years now. Anthony Foley talked about it in the aftermath of the Connacht game that they need consistency, that they need to you know get better at, at raising their game for the smaller games like. Um, like that Connacht game where they they just didn't quite get to the pitch of it and and Connacht beat them up, um, but Saracens away with their with with their whole season on the line effectively, you know, with all of their players, uh, you know that that they need available with 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 O'Connell and and O'Mahony and all those guys uh, in the team, you would imagine that that's the kind of thing that that will get them going. That's the, that's you know it's like that Leinster game at home, their backs are against the wall, they they need a performance, and Munster seem to thrive on that and. You could you could see them producing that performance. They need that performance. If they don't produce it, they're gone. Now, I suppose with Ian Keatley, he made a few dodgy decisions kicking-wise against Connacht, but against Saracens, he's unlikely to be facing into the teeth of such a breeze as he was in the sports ground. No, he was brilliant in the first half in the sports ground, but after, after half-time, in, in horrendous conditions, his his uh, his game broke down a little bit. And it was forgivable enough it, that, you know he was he was getting bad ball. It was it, you know it was, all, it was all on the back foot. Connacht were were rampant at, at that stage, and and he he made some mistakes. I think this pitch will suit himself and Hanrahan dovetailing in midfield. Um, it's a good, it's a it's a fast track. It's it'll be like you know a, a game in April rather than a game in, in January because of the you know the conditions. We saw that with the Cardiff Leinster game on Saturday. It was it was a you know a really good pace to it because of the the fact that it was played on an artificial surface. Um, Keely has shown real bottle in Europe this season. He's nailed pressure kicks that have that have put them in the position that they're in that they're still going. You know particularly the one in Sale. He he's been very very good this season in Europe. He he had some ropey moments with the boot last season, but he's been very very good this year. I think Keely and, and Hanrahan in the midfield will be really key to un- unlocking the the Saracens' defence. And Munster need tries as well. They need they need to build their total. Munster and Leinster are two of the the lowest scoring um, teams in the competition. And when it comes to the last kind of rankings in, in the kind of end of the day in, in two weeks' time, when they were kind of sorting out quarter final spots. Thing, it could come down to that so it, it's it's really crucial that they get their game going and Munster's clash with Saracens is live and in full on off the ball Leinster as you mentioned got a good win over the weekend beating Cardiff Blues 22-13 away from home they were maybe more rattled by the flight than they were by the game uh, they're at home to cast this Saturday night on the face of it it's a game they should win and it certainly is a game they must win both yeah definitely the caster our relegation fodder in top fourteen this season from finalists last year, champions the year before. They've they've kind of fallen off a cliff this year, and they don't care about Europe anymore. All they care about is their is their survival in in France. So the, they're out of the running. They've you know they never travelled well anyway. Even when they had a chance, they, they they had a decent performance at the RDS last year. But in reality, Leinster have to win this game and score four tries at least because you know the, as I said, the, the try scores. Um, the try scored column is going to come down to you know who who gets higher if you, if you finish level on points with other teams and there's a real cluster of teams around them. I think you know the the game between Harlequins and Wasps is, is also huge for Leinster. Leinster need to collect five points and then they just need to wait and see what happens in that other game because there's there's so many different permutations that come out of that um, going into the, their final game against Wasps at Coventry. Um, if if Wasps win, it opens up Leinster winning the pool. If Harlequins win, it really you know Leinster looking at, at second place in, in all reality. So they you know this weekend is really just about getting their job done, scoring as many tries as possible, getting their bonus point, 
and moving on to that Wasps game um, a week later. Keen Healy and Sean O'Brien aren't too far away now, but do they have any chance of in featuring the week after next? It's 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 very unlikely they'd be involved involved this weekend. Yeah, the latest from Leinster is that 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 Healy has a chance of making Wasps, but but it's a very slim one. He he's meeting with a doctor today. He's he's having his kind of latest assessment on on where he's at with his recovery and the expectation is that he'll go back into into you know full contact training over the next couple of days to next week if he comes through that and he's able to you know show balance between his two legs because that's a big thing with the injury that he had if he's able to you know to get through contact and not pick up any niggles because he's been out of contact for so long there's a chance that if he proves himself fit, that he can go and play, play, you know, maybe come off the bench in Wasps, which he did last year to real, really good effect in that kind of really good win that they had over in Cast last season. That was a crucial one for them getting into the quarterfinal. I think O'Brien is maybe, you may be looking at the Wolfhounds a week later after, you know, as a possibility, but really, I think O'Brien is going to come back during those um, Pro 12 games during the Six Nations with a view to, you know, if he can prove his fitness and prove that he's, he's back up to pitch, maybe coming back during the Six Nations. But there's a, there's a bit more of a question mark over over O'Brien. Healy, there's a chance. And I think with Jack McGrath suspended, um, they're pondering an appeal. But as it stands, Jack McGrath's going to miss both games. So with Michael Bent and, and Jamie Hagan was the reserve prop on uh, on Saturday. You know, they really, they really could do with Healy coming back and making the impact that he can. Have we seen in the last couple of weeks that Leinster are improving? And is that why there seems to be a bit less pressure and a bit less talk about coach Matt O'Connor? I think so. Um, I think that the focus has gone off them slightly as well. Um, you know, the the Munster game was... They showed real signs of progress against Connacht. The Munster game was a disaster. They played really, really badly. And, you know, inevitably, you know, Ruby was, was, was the only show in town that week as well. And inevitably, there was going to be a lot of scrutiny. You know, they picked it up really well against Ulster. I thought the second half against Ulster, they were terrible in the first half, but the second half, they were very, very good. And they just started coming from deep. They started winning that kind of breakdown battle. They won the, won the game line. And suddenly we could see how good their, their players are. They they were rattled in Cardiff for the weekend until Jared Hawaita, um hit Rob Kearney with a horrendous high tackle and got a red card, which kind of opened up the game for them. And But they, they made 11 changes with Europe in mind and still came away with a bonus point in, in, a, in a big game. So, you know, they haven't scored four tries in, in a good while. And that, that'll be a big boost to the squad going into this week. I think there is an upturn. I think the last... Um, game and a half have shown um, significant improvement in the way they're playing, the ambition they're playing. Um, a lot of passes didn't stick over in, in Cardiff at the weekend, and if they did, they would have put a lot more points on Cardiff. If those passes can stick, if you can get Luke Fitzgerald through the gap a little bit more, even Madigan back into the team, and all the rest of the kind of big names, you know, they they they're playing good rugby. Cash as you know shouldn't bring a, a too strong a challenge to Dublin this week. They should get a bit of a boost out of scoring a couple of tries in the European game. I think there is real signs of progress there. I don't think it's fixed by any means, but I think with all the bodies coming back with the, with a much stronger squad, a stronger team, and a little bit of fluency that comes with that, you know, I think there's there is signs of life about Leinster, and it's, it's a good time for it to be coming about. This is the Rewind podcast on News Talk. We're talking to Rory O'Connor, Irish independent rugby correspondent. Uh, Rory, let's move to Pool 3. Ulster going away to Toulon, another game that is live on Off the Ball this Saturday. Ulster with only pride to play for and their season has been up and down is probably being kind they've been ridiculously inconsistent this year and even in winning away to Treviso they were poor in parts of that game yeah they're they're really really having a, a tough time of it and when you're when you're going through that and you're you're kind of you're you're not doing particularly well away from home you know you're 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 struggling for form you're struggling for rhythm there's no worse place to be going in Europe than the Stade Felix Mayol um, I was there when Leinster played there last season and it's it's absolute 
it's an inferno when they get going. It's it's really really it's an impressive atmosphere. It's a I'd say it's a, a nightmare to play in. You can't hear yourself think. And when things are going against you, then there's um there's you know it, it's it's not a it's not a nice place to be. And and Toulon need to win. Toulon having slipped up at Leicester earlier in the season. Um, don't generally lose at home. They need to win to to ensure that they get their home quarter final. So Ulster couldn't really wish for a, a worse scenario. They're not playing well. They're out of the running, really. They know they're out of the running. They should be focusing on the Pro 12. But they have to go to the home of the champions uh, with the champions needing to win and all that goes with it. They've moved it from Nice. It was supposed to be played in Nice. And when Ulster were, were ruled out, uh, Toulon made the decision to bring it back to Nice. Or sorry, bring it back from Nice to Toulon. Um, and that could be the worst thing that ever happened to Ulster. So and Neil Doak needs his players to stand up this week and next. Even though they're out, they, need, they could do with just a performance to kind of get their season going again because it's it's gone so wrong so far. Well, as I'm commentating in that game, Rory, I will point out that there's a slight mathematical possibility they could go through, but I'm motivating myself as a commentator. Do you see why I had to do that? I do, yeah. <laughs> Slight is the operative word there, Oshin. Yeah, it's still a possibility, man. I'm here with my fingers crossed. Listen, just before I let you go, it's kind of strange because for Ulster, Munster and Leinster, and you could argue not Ulster as you just have, given they're basically out of Europe, but for those three teams, they moved from less important games last weekend to more important games this coming weekend. For Connacht, you could argue it's the other way around because they need to get into the top six of the Pro 12 and finish in the... Pro 12 top six to reach the Champions Cup but they took a bit of a blow over the weekend losing at home their first loss at home this season against Edinburgh 16-13 they're away or sorry they're at home again next uh, weekend against Exeter in the Challenge Cup but first you might talk about their Pro 12 defeat and how damaging that is because it's far more damaging than a defeat against uh, Exeter would be next weekend yeah, they had a chance to put Edinburgh out, you know, they had a chance to kind of put Edinburgh at real arm's length and, and they, they lost that chance. They brought Edinburgh into the race for that sixth spot. Um, Scarlet's losing has kind of at least kept them in sixth and, and kept them at arm's length. But, um, you know, Connacht had real momentum coming out of out of that Munster game at Christmas and, and Pat Lamb spoke passionately about it, about how they needed to build on it. And John Muldoon started talking about looking up rather than looking over their shoulders, you know, that they should be maybe looking at fourth and, and third and the Edinburgh are a good team you know they're not a particularly flashy team they're not that exciting but they, they they've already come to Thomond Park and won and they know how to do a job they're 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 a kind of seasoned group of, of professionals who can do a job and, and Connacht just didn't seem to be able to handle them that well so I mean this week is is, is a weird week for them that they they in the in this the context of the Challenge Cup season, this is a chance to top the pool and, and go and, and, and beat an English team at home and all the things that Irish teams love to do, you know. But the, the Challenge Cup is so irrelevant this year. I think it might be it might have some relevance when it gets to the quarterfinals. But the fact that there's no way into the Champions Cup, there's no um Champions Cup teams coming into it in the quarterfinal stage. It really just doesn't matter. The French teams aren't taking it seriously. And Connacht really their biggest game now is the Scarlets in a couple of weeks' time, and who are who are the place below them in in, Euro, in the European race. They have to go to Clanetley to play against them. They're going to be missing their Six Nations players, and that's really taken on a massive amount of importance in the context of their season. So, um, this weekend, you know, I think they will throw something at this weekend because you know, there's the, the it's a competition that they probably wouldn't mind winning, even if if they um, even if it's not that that important on the, on the greater scheme of things, um, but. The the real kind of carrot for 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 Connacht is is Scarlets in in a couple of weeks time because having lost to Edinburgh they need to beat you know the Scarlets away or at least come away with a bonus point to keep their hopes um of a sixth place kind of going. Okay, Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent, thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast. Thanks, Eugene.
This is the Rewind on News Talk. Remember, you can email us on mondayrewind at newstalk.com. Coming up, UFC is Conor McGregor and Cahill Pendred. I have big bouts in Boston next weekend. We've got Camogie as Jennifer O'Leary retires. And there's basketball as the National Cup semi-finals took place this weekend in Cork. We were there. We'll bring you the reaction. In Hurling, Waterford are looking for better in 2015 after being relegated and winning only one championship match last year. Granted, they did get a draw against Cork in Munster. At the Daysha beat Limerick IT 122 to 18 points yesterday. Brian O'Halloran with 1-4 for his side who meet Limerick next week in the Waterford Crystal Cup quarter-final. Let's hear now from Waterford manager Derek McGrath, who told WLRFM that the preparation for next week's meeting with Limerick won't be influenced by the fact that they're meeting the same opposition in their Alliance League opener on Valentine's Day. Well, I'm not really concerned how Limerick approaches. We're, we're just going to go for it. You know, we, we, I don't think we're the type of team that can engage in mind games coming, coming to the 14th of February. We're, we're a team we feel that we may need a bit of momentum and a bit of a run, so we're just going to go for it. But we will do it as we will train through the game on Friday and Saturday next week. You know, we're, we're due to fitness testing next Saturday, so... You know, we're going to go ahead with that, even with Sunday mind. So I think we have to. I think we have to make the most of January in terms of uh, fitness. I was delighted with the, the last 10, 15 minutes where we seem to come strong in terms of. Uh, you know, people mightn't believe, it, but we actually put a hurry for in our hands for the first time in terms of a training session last Friday night. So we'd be um, happy with that generally. You know, this is the rewind on News Talk, and that was Waterford manager Derek McGrath following their win over LIT Cork B U L one eighteen to one fifteen to set up a clash with CIT next Saturday. That uh, game will take place in CIT's very impressive GA grounds. A Dane Lee, who played Dr. Harty Cup the day before, scoring the goal for the Rebels. Manager Jimmy Barry Murphy spoke to Red FM about that player and why they're using Darren McCarthy outfield, even though he actually came into the squad as a goalkeeper. Yeah, it's hard from playing match yesterday, yeah. but he wanted to play and we gave him a chance and he got a great goal. And uh, I thought all the lads acquitted themselves very well. I thought the Rajah was first class and... Uh, you know, even though game on next Saturday with CIT, so it keeps us going from a training point of view. That's what it's being used as. Well, Patrick Collins is an outstanding goalkeeper as well, and Darren has been, has, is an excellent keeper. Don't yeah. tell anyone, yeah. like Anthony Nash, obviously, is our number one goalkeeper. And we just felt that Darren has formed with Bally Martin, was brilliant all the year, and we want to give him an opportunity to see um, could he play out the field and rather than sitting on the bench, yeah. which he probably will be if Anthony's going to be in goal, that we, we might try and find a, a role for him. And uh, we'll see how it goes going forward. I think he's a very good prospect and his form with Bally Martin showed he could play out the field, but in the county is different, but we're hoping that he can make that step up. We tired a bit in St. Evan, UL got going and they were, mm. they were a very strong team, some brilliant players, so they're bound to come at us. But from the point of view of, of the competition, it's, it was our intention to use it to find players, which we didn't do at the time to last year. So from this point of view, it's, it's our intention to do it again next Saturday. And we're very, very anxious to try and find players to bring into the panel. We want to really increase competition for places, and that's the purpose of it, and I'm hoping that we can do that. And I'm very encouraged by certain players. Without going into names, already we've seen plenty in training and plenty in the matches that are encouraging for us. You know, you've played a game under the, the Hurling 2020 rules. What did you make of those recommendations during the week? I think, it's well I think it's well worth trying. I think it's very positive. I think the committee did a good job. I think it's well worth trying and uh, go along with it for a moment and see how it works out in, the, in these preliminary competitions. And I think it seems it seems well worth trying to try to Jimmy Barry Murphy now. Offaly and Westmead clashed in the Walsh Cup. Offaly had a horrendous 2014, needing a relegation playoff win over Kerry to stay in Division 1B. And then... In the championship, they lost heavily to Kilkenny in the Leinster Championship before taking a big beating from Tipperary in the qualifiers. Yesterday, they were pushed by Michael Ryan's Westmeath before eventually winning 2.15 to 1.13. It was kind of an important game when you think about it because Offaly needed to start with a positive and if they were beaten by Westmeath, maybe the sharks of negativity would have surrounded them again. Their fins would have definitely popped out of the water. Uh, we'll hear from Michael Ryan, the Westmeath manager, and what he's looking for from his side. Westmeath have been a t- team 
in recent years that have kind of threatened to make a breakthrough but haven't. Could Ryan, the former Waterford boss, make a difference? We'll hear from him in a second. But first, here is Brian Whelan. Both, both men spoke to Midlands 103. You know, it is only January, and in fairness to both teams, they, they worked very hard. Both teams worked very hard against the wind, and uh, um, I suppose at half-time we had a strong lead, and uh, we were looking to maybe progress a little bit more in the second half, but... You know, all due respect to Westmead, they knuckled down, they dragged a couple of players back into the back line and made it very, very hard for us. And uh, I suppose when we had a when we had a man put to the line, it, it made it extra hard on us. But um, uh, in fairness to, to to Westmead, they stuck to their to their guns and um, you know really pressed as well in the second half. You had a number of new players on show today, and they all acquitted themselves pretty well. You know. Uh, and Emmett Nolan in particular, I thought there were a couple of great scores when you needed him. He got your first from the way out of the field. But I suppose goals will win games at this time of year, maybe any time, Brian. And two brilliant goals from Quirk, one early in the opening half and then one in the 25th minute. There were the goals that you, that you built on from there that you put in at half-time, 2-10 to 7 up. That's right, yeah. We had a, a very strong first half and, you know, Stephen finished off the first one very well, was on hand to finish the first one. And I think the second one was a very good move. We We worked very hard... Westmead were in possession with the ball and we worked very hard to dispossess them and you know Paddy Murphy set up a Stephen with a with a you know a, a great pass for the goal and he finished it well and um the in the first half we we seemed to be finding our players an awful lot easier but um you know in the second half Westmead as I said pulled an extra man into the, into the defence and we had a we had a man sent off and uh, it just made it that harder to find our scores in the second half and Westmead pressed and pressed and pressed and um, I suppose in, we're probably unlucky not to have another you know goal there was a goal disallowed on them but uh, you know we'll take the win it is the we've Galway next in a couple of weeks time and um, you know we're looking forward to that that's the difference between between the standard of holding you know sometimes you know to get scores and play is difficult and that's something we've got to work at you know, we, we haven't done enough of the shooting practice but we've got to develop that part of our game there's this, we have plenty of holding ability, but sometimes you know you have to you have to figure out the way to score, and you have to get the ball to the, to the man in the best position, and that's something we we hope to get better at. You were nine down heading into the last ten minutes, and you brought you got a goal and two points without reply from Offley. Yeah, well, I suppose they had a man sent off as well too, in fairness. But but uh, you know, as I said, you know, I was proud of the effort of the players the way they all worked so hard, and I think you know we were on a few subs, and they made a big impression as well. So you know, we we'll have a good look at it and learn from it, and we're playing Galway again next week. That's another big step up for us but these are the days you're really these are the days you find out about yourselves as a management team and as, as about players as well you know a lot of new players on board today I thought they acquitted themselves very well today I think we had five players starting today who never, who never played a competitive game for uh, adult level for, for uh, Westmead before and there's a few more fellas coming, coming on as well young Mitchell played very well you know he's, only, he's still a minor he's a very talented player that's something we've got to be careful about because his first game really will be with the minors this year this is his first choice but you know, happy enough overall, still a lot of work to be done. Our first big test is the London game in, in, in four or five weeks' time. We're building towards that and hopefully by the time that comes round, we'll have the college boys back and we have a few fellas out injured as well. Hopefully we'll have a, we'll have a stronger panel to pick from. So a good display from Offaly and many positives, I suppose, from Westmeath as well. The Kilcormac Kalahi players are back in the Offaly group, but David Kenny is training individually he will rejoin the group very shortly, but he is on track for a return, which is good news for Offaly. Uh, you heard from their manager, Brian Whelan and Westmead's uh, Michael Ryan there. In football, Donegal overcame Queen's 216-18 to in the Dr. McKenna Cup. Uh, Donegal, of course, under new manager Rory Gallagher, although he has worked with pretty much all of the players before 
when he was the coach under Jim McGuinness. Uh, after the game in Bally Buffet, Gallagher spoke to Ocean FM's Borick Hilferty. It was a good display overall, you know, considering underfoot conditions and the wind and rain, two sixteens pleasing, and we probably missed a few more. But, uh, you know, positives, but you know, we'd have to work on as well, which that's what it's about this time of the year, trying to improve game on game. I suppose after last week you, you, you tried it an inexperienced team, but this year, you, uh, this game, I should say, you tried it more experienced heads, Orrin McNeil is coming back into it, Frank McGlynn, you had Paddy McGrath, I suppose, and give, give those players coming onto the panel, you know, uh, the experienced heads are there. Oh, I did, yeah, give them a big help, you know, that's, we would have ideally liked last week, to, you know, even though they mightn't have been that fit to play four or five of the experienced players, it didn't work out like that, but no, it was great for the, the fresher face in the panel to play, but you know, players of that quality and gives them a better chance of uh, you know of showing good form. I suppose conditions were testing at times today, Roy. All the way, listen, very difficult. You know, in fairness, the pitch held up a lot better than I would have imagined, considering the, the amount of rain. But you know, that that's the way it might be at the start of the National League Park, and it's a test of the individuals' you know overall skills and fitness whether they can shine in conditions like that. This is the rewind on News Talk, and that was Donegal manager Rory Gallagher. By the way, there's a lot more on the Bordemona O'Byrne Cup, Doctor McKenna Cup, McGrath Cup, FBD League, Walsh Cup, and Waterford Crystal Cup on Newstalk.com forward slash sport including a full roundup of the results uh, who'll meet who next and uh, audio from various managers and players well coming up we'll preview Conor McGregor and Cahill Pendred's uh, bouts in Boston next weekend in UFC we'll also have kickboxing and basketball the cup final lineups finalised over the weekend and now though it's Camogie and this weekend three time All-Ireland winner with Cork Jennifer O'Leary announced her inter-county retirement the six time All-Star who's now working in Carrick Macross and living in Armagh announced the news as she was honoured at the Southern Star Awards in West Cork at the weekend O'Leary talked about her decision and her career uh, to C103's Michael Scanlon if you were to look back at it, you'd never be able to top the year that we had this year. And I have every belief in the team that are going forward this year. I know they can do it again. But just from my own personal sense of achievement and from my own mindset, I know I wouldn't have been happy retiring last year the way we finished. I always said I always want to finish on a high. And I think that this would be the perfect opportunity to take a step down and I suppose start living a life up in Armagh as well and to be in one place and maybe try other things. So... Yeah, I think this it's time to hang up the boots when it comes to county, but I'll explore different avenues when it comes in into different sports. I'll I'll definitely try something different. But yeah, I'm happy to 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 end for now with the the Cork County team. I I've so many happy memories, experiences. I'll never forget it, and I'll always be grateful for all the opportunities I was given from everybody around me. Jennifer, now that you have announced your retirement, I know how all the Camogie supporters will remember you. How would you like to be remembered? Um, I think just as a happy-go-lucky, positive person that just really enjoyed being part of a team and really enjoyed playing camogie, um, it, it was definitely a, a love of mine from a very young age. And um, I suppose I want to be remembered as a person who was very friendly and just was, you know, loved being part of a team. And I suppose I hope people can come up to me in years to come and still come up and have a conversation about this game or that game or you know keep in contact with me that would be a very special um, thing for me to have This is the Rewind on News Talk and that was former Cork Camogie star Jennifer O'Leary on her retirement we wish her the very best of luck with her big move to Armagh she was only 17 when she made her debut for Cork she's 29 now so she's given some service a USC now and Conor McGregor fights next Saturday night in Boston against Dennis Siver while Cahill Pendred is also in the octagon. MMA and UFC journalist Marco Toole joins us. Mark, it seems that if McGregor wins, he will finally 
get his world title shot. Yeah, I suppose uh, kind of when you're coming from a, an Irish perspective in this and there's obviously the natural bias, you have to kind of sit down and kind of take cognizance of everything that's going on and should this guy win or should he not? Uh, but basically, Connor fighting uh, Dennis Siver, uh, any way you cut it, it would be a major upset if Connor lost this, uh, which goes against everything that's happened so far against Connor because inevitably he has been the underdog in most of his fights in the UFC. Uh, the first occasion when he fought in the UFC, uh, he was an unknown quantity to the rest of the mixed martial arts world. He won that in the first round. His second fight, uh, he was fighting against a guy who had a really good pedigree, Max Holloway, who's since uh, been proven to uh, be a great fighter. Um, Conor McGregor uh, beat him despite uh, tearing his ligaments to shreds. Uh, Conor then went on, obviously, to make his comeback in Dublin. Uh, he beat a top 15 fighter in uh, Diego Brandao in the first round. And then we saw him beat a top five fighter in Dustin Poirier in Las Vegas uh, only a few weeks a uh, after that. So uh, this is the first time Conor McGregor, who would be ranked around five in the UFC's own ranking system, will be fighting a guy who... Um, would be less than him uh, in that ranking system. Uh, Dennis Siver would probably come in at number 10. So within that, that brings new pressures, but also you have to look at Conor McGregor's record and ability, and he has a lot more to offer than the veterans, uh, Dennis Siver. What challenges does Siver possess to Conor McGregor? Uh, well, Siver has obviously a huge pedigree. His uh, record is 22-9, uh, uh, so that's 22 wins, 9 losses. He's uh, been in there for a very long time. He's got some excellent kicks. He's got a, a black belt in Taekwondo, which would be a martial art that would involve a lot of spectacular kicks. His spitting uh, kick is one to watch out for. Um, but really, if you look at what Connor's offering, which is a four-inch reach advantage, a two-inch height advantage, as well as the fact that he's on an 11-fight winning streak with a lot of first-round knockouts, much better striking than Siver, which Siver puts a lot of onus on, on his striking being one of his main abilities, uh, a better pedigree in grappling, uh, has a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Dennis Siver has a purple belt, which would be the grade below brown belt. Um, and the fact that Dennis Siver has been a lot, lot less active than Conor McGregor. And I think this is the crucial point it comes down to. Uh, Conor has fought uh, three times in the last... Uh, uh, in the la uh, or two, uh, Sorry, I beg your pardon, has fought uh, a lot more in uh, 2014 than uh, Dennis Siver did. Uh, mainly because Dennis Siver was uh, banned for nine months uh, since uh, December 2013 for uh, testing positive uh, per, for performance-enhancing drugs. Um, Dennis did make his comeback in October and uh, had a decision against a fighter who came in um, very much uh, the week before uh, Dennis Sivers uh, was due to fight. So Dennis Sivers had a full fight camp against an inexperienced uh uh, newcomer to the UFC who only had one week's training and uh, mm. nearly lost to be honest he um, he was very lucky to get the to, to get the win out of that so you have to say with Dennis Siver off uh, performance enhancing drugs with his lack of inactivity Conor McGregor is going to be a lot more fresher fighter and uh, Conor McGregor has also made the point that he wants to punish Dennis Siver beat him in under two minutes of the first round and uh, punish him for uh, his past uh, 
performance enhancing drug uh, trans transgressions. So uh, there's an interesting dynamic there, but I think when you take all that into account, uh, Connor should uh, win this. And uh, the UFC president, Dana White, has promised a shot at uh, Josie Aldo, the featherweight champion, uh, to Conor McGregor this year, uh, should he beat Dennis Siver. So a lot of stakes on the line. What about Conor McGregor himself? Is the only one who can beat him, him? Because, you know, you constantly see him on Twitter bragging and boasting and doing all that kind of WWE-style stuff. And I want to stress, I'm only saying WWE-style out of the ring because inside the ring, it's it's very much a serious competitive sport. Um, does does he carry on like that, like outside of his public persona? Uh, you know, is there a danger that he might get a bit carried away on his own press, and maybe he he himself might get carried away with himself, or is he, from what you know, focused and 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 ready for what is a very very big fight? Yeah, I, I, I suppose really, like Connor is uh, just playing the oldest card in the promotion game, which is uh, talking up yourself so people will pay to see you get beaten, people will pay to see you uh, win. Well, he doesn't, doesn't just matter. talk up himself, though, Mark. I mean, he talks down everyone else or many people who he's, you know, looking to fight maybe and, and many people around. Yeah, and, and to be fair, that's uh, something, and we're not equating them as like for like, but something Muhammad Ali would have done to Joe Frazier, would have done to George Foreman, and then after all those fights would have, uh, or certainly the end fights in them being uh, somewhat more uh, humble in talking about opponents, which is co- what Connor is doing. So he's playing the game uh, in relation to Connor's mentality. Um, look, he is a character outside the ring. He knows what he's doing business-wise and in, in terms of calling out other fighters, in terms of um, creating that buzz around himself. That's caused a lot of consternation uh, amongst other UFC fighters fighters that kind of feel he's been a bit uh, a bit uh, hot rodded towards uh, this uh, this title run uh, up the rankings but so far Connor has backed up everything he has said and you know if he beats Dennis Siver in under two rounds like he's bragging that he will you have to say look you know he he does what he says he backs up backs up the, that talk and creates uh, a buzz around himself and that buzz has also possibly led uh, to um, a title fight which uh, against Jose Aldo should he win that will um, take place in either the Aviva Stadium or Crow Park and if you look at uh, the GAA's Crow Park Community Forum document which came out just before Christmas we can see that uh, the um, uh, that uh, Crow Park is provisionally booked for a non-GAA sporting event for May, uh, which is the time a title fight has been noted. So read into that what you will. Uh, read into the fact that uh, Cottle Pendred, who's also fighting on this card, who's Conor McGregor's uh, club mate, has said that there have been negotiations between the UFC and uh, the Aviva Stadium and Crow Park for this fight. And we could possibly see the biggest ever uh, UFC uh, attendance in Dublin, Ireland, uh, only less than uh, uh, three years after Conor McGregor has joined the organisation. Let's join it up with what was supposed to be a previous event in Crow Park. Let's get Conor McGregor in with Garth Brooks. I think that's the fight the Irish people want to see. Yeah, I suppose there'd be a, a lot of um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of talk and hype around uh, boatmen, but uh, I think Conor McGregor has more of a chance of delivering at this stage. Should he yeah, beat Dennis Silver? Yeah, and I have to say, I think Conor McGregor is far more likable than Gareth Brooks or or Chris Gaines. Um, what about Conor <laughs> Pendred? You mentioned him there. He is on the card in Boston Garden this weekend. He's a bit like Conor McGregor, but he goes about his work and certainly to build up build up to his fights in in a more reserved manner. 
Yeah, I, I was speaking to uh, Cahill uh, a couple of weeks back there, just before Christmas, in uh, the Irish Strength Institute, uh, just uh, out there in Artane, where all uh, Connor and Cahill and all his clubmates do their um, uh, their weight cuts, their conditioning. Um, he's in very focused form. Uh, he himself is uh, on 10 fights since his last uh, official loss in mixed martial arts, so on a very good run. Um, he's fought twice this year as well, obviously, uh, he got uh, the fight of the night bonus in uh, Dublin uh, when he beat Mike King in really spectacular fashion. I don't think we've ever seen a UFC comeback like that. Uh, Carl Pendred was all but out in the first round and recovered to uh, win uh, pretty spectacularly in the second round, uh, choking uh, his opponent out with a rear naked choke. He then fought in Sweden in October uh, against uh, a fighter uh, who basically uh, didn't want to engage to much with Cahill, so Cahill did what Cahill can do on those occasions and eke out the decision. Uh, he's fighting on the preliminary card, uh, which is uh, televised at uh, midnight, uh, kicks off at midnight on BT Sport uh, 2. He's fighting Sean Spencer, so uh, it, it's an interesting matchup. Uh, both men, you know, they, they've got a similar reach, they've got a similar record, they've got a penchant for uh, taking fights to decisions. Uh, Cahill would be a tiny bit taller at uh, six foot two uh, has uh, just about a two uh, two inch uh, or a two inch uh, height advantage over Sean Spencer. And um, what we can see is I think Cahill might have more ability to do something spectacular than Sean Spencer. Uh, all all Sean's uh, wins in the UFC have come uh, via via decision, uh, and uh, Cahill has the ability, like we've seen when he was the Cage Warriors welterweight champion, uh, to pull off some spectacular wins uh, against UFC caliber fighters, whether that's David Bedelkin, uh, who fought in the UFC, or Che Mills, who also fought in the UFC, or indeed, like he did in Dublin, um, uh, beat Mike King. So based on that, um, it's a big fight for Cahill. Cahill uh, has lived in Ireland all his life, but he was born in Boston, so it's a homecoming uh, for him. Uh, it's a bit of a dream match. There's a lot of pressure on him, and I think he'll uh, live up to the occasion. Um, uh, I think the, the only issue with him at the moment is uh, he was complaining about not being able to have his Christmas dinner this year uh, because he had to make weight uh, when he was talking to me a few weeks back. Um, I, and I suppose the other thing to say uh, about this card is there's a huge level of Irish interest in it, uh, which... Uh, you know, has really shown how much uh, the UFC has taken off since uh, Conor McGregor has uh, joined the UFC. We also have uh, Patrick de Hooligan Hooligan, uh, who's fighting Shane Insane Hell. So uh, two interesting nicknames there. Uh, but uh, Paddy Hooligan uh, has uh, won one and lost one in the UFC so far. He's uh, the Dubliner is uh, incredibly exciting fighter off his back. He's looking to um, he's looking to kind of uh, come back from a loss. Uh, his last fight uh, in Nova Scotia in uh, Scotland. Uh, I think there was issues with Paddy's weight cut. Um, also, his main coach, John Kavanagh, wasn't able to be in his corner because he was cornering Cahill Pendred uh, the very next day in Sweden. So he didn't have the same uh, calm voice in his corner that he usually would have and his usual fight conditions. And he's fighting Shane Hell, who uh, has 
on 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 the side of things, not as good a record as as Paddy with uh, with uh, thirteen wins and eight losses versus Paddy's ten wins and one loss. Um, and both men are looking basically to avenge uh, defeats in their in their last outing. So that will be an interesting fight. Paddy Hulham is a very entertaining fighter, much much like uh, Conor McGregor in terms of being able to pull out the spectacular and being a character outside uh, the octagon. And the other fight, uh, which is taking place on the main card, is Norman Park, who was actually in the UFC before Conor McGregor uh, had had a couple of fights. He's uh, looking to break into uh, the the ranks of the um, of, of his division, which would be the lightweight division, he's fighting. Um, he's fighting a very experienced Brazilian fighter, um, but is also undefeated in the UFC uh, so far. So, um, so there's a lot of really, really good uh, Irish interest uh, in this card. And there um, could be one more as well, couldn't there? Yeah, um, I suppose um, it's being canvassed for at the moment, and it would be very short notice. But Chris Fields, who's uh, very much uh, one of kind of the veterans of the Irish MMA scene, uh, he'll be in Cahill Pendrick's corner for his fight. Um, but Uriah Hall, who is fighting on the main card, who would have at one stage been one of the golden boys of the UFC, um, has, uh, as of uh, Sunday evening, not got an opponent uh, for uh, his fight. And Chris uh, has said that he would be willing uh, to step up and face him. Chris uh, recently signed for a big British promotion, Bama, um, and has been getting back in, uh, getting back into shape, uh, been uh, training pretty hard. And he had actually mentioned to me that there was a possibility that. Uh, Uriah Hall's opponent uh, uh, could pull out of the fight and in which case he's prepared and has mooted his availability to the UFC so uh, we'll wait to see how that develops during the week um, and uh, yeah we could have uh, another another Irish fighter yeah. on an already Irish heavy card Yeah four Irish fights down for a decision or four fights involving Irish fighters and we could have five Mark O'Toole MMA and UFC journalist thanks for joining us Thanks a million Oshin Talk soon This is the Rewind on News Talk and that that was MMA journalist Marco Toulon, Conor McGregor and the other Irish boys fighting next weekend. We'll have kickboxing shortly, but first basketball and the men's and women's cup semi-finals took place in Cork over the weekend. On Friday night, CNS UCC Demons and UCD Marion overcame Travelodge Swords Thunder and UL Eagles in the men's semis. While on Saturday at Neptune Stadium, Kilester squeezed through by one against UL Huskies and Team Montanati Hotel Glanmire beat DCU Mercy. We'll hear from Neve Dwyer on winning and Huskies coach Dave Kyo on losing by one point shortly. And now though, here's Demon's Shane Collin on beating Swords Thunder in the Mardike on Friday night. But first, UCD Marion's top scorer with 23 points, Kevin Foley, on their victory against UL Eagles, 81-70, the final score on that. First time in uh, my career at senior level. Um, so very happy. I mean, it's, I'm 31 now, so I'm towards the end of my career. So it's a last push. So it's great to make it this year, especially with this team that I've played with for so long. You looked like you were in control of the game for the first two quarters. Then UL came back into it and it got very tight for the third quarter and the start of the fourth. Yeah, um, we tend to do that. Like We've had a lot of games this year where we've gone up big and we just we tend to just take our foot off the pedal. I don't know what it is, but this year, where as in years previous, we were able to get back and whatever happens, we don't let it affect us and we just put our foot in the pedal again, So, which we were able to do again because UL are a great team. Their league position doesn't reflect how good those players are. So we knew it was going to be a battle and we knew they'd, they'd get a run eventually. How good is that to know going into the final you have pressure players, guys who respond? I mean, you did the same 
at the arena where the final would be held last week in the league. Granted, didn't quite fall that time, but at least he got the bonus point. Yeah, I mean, like demons are gonna, demons or thunder are gonna be a huge test for us because they're both first and second in the league. They're a big team. We know that there's gonna present a huge challenge for us, but we know we've got the pedigree there to, on, on any day, beat any team in the league. So let's, we're just hoping that we can bring our game for the, through the final and hopefully come out on top. How big a boost is this for the club? Because it's a, it's one thing to achieve in the league, but the cup is just something different. It's going to be live on TG Cahar. There's going to be a lot of press coverage. It's going to be in the arena. It's going to be packed out. Yeah, it's, it's a, the cup is the one everyone wants to get to. Like so, I mean, I mean, um, the league is the league. Obviously, is everyone. It's a challenge. It's whoever's playing well throughout the whole season. But anyone can put a cup run together. It's one game at a time. And as you get through, you start to believe in yourself. So I mean, cup televised next weekend. My first time in it. I can't wait. Shane Collin, how many cup finals is that for you now? Thanks, Jim. Uh, well, I'll be going for my six winners medal anyway. When we play the final, uh, how many finals I played is probably more, maybe eight or nine. Definitely lost a few, but you know, we fair, t- t- Thunder today put it up to us in the first quarter. You know, 30 points. We don't usually concede that, but they shot very well, and we came out a bit flat. You know, Colin made changes, and we just grew into the game. You know. And, you know, we were pinned down after the first quarter. We dug in second quarter was outstanding, and I think the third quarter the shooting by Colin O'Reilly and Kieran was just the nail in the da- coffin for them. And we just saw the rest of it, played tough, and we're delighted to win. You mentioned changes being made. What were those changes, and what effect did they have? Yeah, I think uh, even myself, you know, slow starting. Maybe one or two guys slow starting. So I think Colin just found the group in that second quarter who played a lot of minutes, were tired. But he stuck with it, they clawed us back in the game and to win leading half time was a credit to him, you know. And you know, in fairness, he just found the right guys on the court. We hit big shots in the second half and defensively I think we definitely shut him down, you know, to concede thirty in the first quarter and then concede forty in three quarters is outstanding defence. How big an advantage was it to be at home tonight? Did that help settle you even when you were like sixteen points down? Yeah, I mean it probably should have settled us better, but we were definitely a slow starting, which we don't like, you know, we usually come out swinging. The crowd helped us big time, you know, once we got the momentum, they came in our favour and, you know, when you're playing at home, I suppose you always think you have an advantage, but it's a cup semi, so you can never be sure, you know, and we're just delighted to win. And it's Marion in the final at the arena on the 24th, it's going to be live on TV. Yes, I think they are probably outside ourselves and swords, probably at the moment, the best, the best, you know, playing the best basketball as well, you know, they have a lot of dangerous players, you know, they all play hard together and, you know, we all know the deficit they turned over there last year, nearly knocked us out of the cup, so... We're under no illusions that'll be a tight, not a titanic battle against Marion. How different is it now that you're a bit older playing in these big games? Has your attitude changed? No, I mean, I, everyone loves playing the big games, you know. I just, you know, once my legs keep going, I'm fit enough, I can get up and down the court, I'm happy to play, you know. Probably wasn't my best night at the office, you know, but that's why we've nine, ten guys every night in training and working hard because Colin knows he can depend on anyone any given time and, you know, different guys stood up tonight and, at the end of the day, it's the basketball team and, you know, the 10, 11 of us will go to the arena, hopefully, to win the final. Best of luck. Thanks a million. This is the Rewind on News Talk and that was Demon Shane Cullen on their 95-70 win over Travel Lodge Swords Thunder in basketball's National Cup semi-final on Friday night. A Colester will face Team Montanati Hotel Glenmire in the women's final. Colester beat Huskies 67-66 in the first semi-final. Huskies led throughout but missed their last eight attempts at the basket and Colester nudged in front with 40 seconds left in the game. Team Montanati Hotel came through a high-octane clash with DCU Mercy in the second semi. Head coach Mark Scannell had lamented the lack of standout point scorers among his ranks uh, in the lead-in, but watched both Gronia Dwyer and Anya McKenna break through the 20-point barrier in a 
65 win. After the game, I spoke with uh, former Waterford Wildcat star and now Glenmire stalwart Neve Dwyer, who chipped in with 10 points during her 27 minutes on the court. But it was the six fouls she drew which had a massive impact on the game. First though, let's hear from heartbroken UL Huskies coach David Kill. It's probably the cruelest game I've been involved with, I think. I thought we controlled the game for the whole game. You know, our girls did everything I asked of them just down to the last few minutes. The girls, you know, uh, Robin Murphy stepped up a good bit there in the last quarter. We weren't able to stop her. She's probably the difference between the two teams at the end of the day. That last minute was absolutely intriguing. There was a big call by the ref, maybe a couple of them, and a lot of chances. They took theirs, you didn't take yours. Maybe that was the difference. Yeah, I think we missed. I think we had seven shots to take the lead back in the last minute. Didn't make them. You know, they're rimming in and out. I thought Kelsey got fouled going to the basket. Could have been a foul. They were getting it down this end of the floor. So I thought that we should have got it down the other end of the way. That's, that's basketball. Neil Dwyer, it might not have been the perfect performance, but the important thing is Team Montanotti Glenmire are through to the National Cup final. That's the most important thing. Like, you know, when it comes to a semi final, it doesn't matter how you win, you just got to win. And today we had big performances from a lot of players. You know, Anya stepped up big time like she did last year in the Cup final with 20 points. Gorni got into 20 points. And I think we, myself and Mary and a few others. So we had four or five people in double points and it's tough to stop any team that can get five players, four or five players in double figures, so it's great. I know it's very hard to maybe put your finger on it right after the game, but what went right and what went wrong? Well, I thought our defence in the first half, we only gave up 22 points and that set a huge platform for us. You know, um, we hadn't been performing our best in the month coming up to, the, to this match, um, but we've worked really hard the last two weeks to rectify that and especially on our defence. And I think that first half um, to keep a team like uh, DCU to 22 points gave us that foundation to go on in the second half. And I think that's why we could keep our composure. We never lost the lead from the first half then. And I think that was crucial going down to stretch. How annoying were the clock problems? Because there were sudden stoppages oh. for no reason. Do you know, especially in the second quarter when we were on the roll like yeah. we were getting stops and we were out in, the, out in the break and we were actually playing really well and it just kind of disrupted it um, a little bit so that was quite, quite frustrating especially since I felt like we were on top that second quarter we only gave up 8 points on defence and we were trying to extend out on offence and um, but you know what it, the important thing is that we didn't let it affect us and we really dug in when it mattered and you know and to get 8 or 9 people in off the bench and all contributing is is, is brilliant for us going into the final because for a player yourself people would have an impression that you'd want to be out there all the time but you yeah. seem to make the decision yourself at times or say to Mark at times look maybe keep me off for a while well no I, I would never say that I just said yeah. clarify but um, I could understand in the fourth quarter there like yeah. the girls were playing um, very good defence and Ani was hitting a lot of big shots yeah. so like you know when things are going right as a coach you don't change it it was just up for me to keep ready and when I did like, I was happy when I came in I got a couple yeah. of touches on defence and I made the free throws as well so that was important for me you know it wouldn't be my favourite position obviously on the bench but at the time when a team is playing well you, you don't you don't mess with it and I can understand that decision thoroughly I'm just glad that I got back in and I could contribute to the win there Did you spot that that they were getting in an awful lot of foul trouble and you could really take advantage of that yeah. and did as you mentioned yeah um, what I spotted was the middle was open on the press breaker and you saw me come a couple of times to the middle and that's where I picked up a couple of fouls so that when I was looking on the bench that's what I spotted we needed somebody who could carry the ball in the middle and force them to come in and foul and thankfully that worked now uh, even though I still need a little bit of work in my free throws but um you know, you made the ones that count, so I'll, I'll take confidence from that going into the final. And just before I let you go, you're up against Colester in the final in two weeks, live yeah. on TG Cahar. You're more experienced at this level than they are. They haven't been there since 2006. Yeah, we, will, we won't be taking anything for granted, especially, you know, before Christmas, like you said, we were in a bit of a slump. So the important thing is that we have the momentum now and that we keep improving and keep going. And um, 
Um, Clester, I saw the final here. They never gave up. You know, UL looked like they were going to pull away, and Clester stuck with it and, and grinded it out. And you know, we played them in the three v three tournament before Christmas, and they beat us in the final by the same kind of physicality and grinding it out. So um, by no means, you know, cup is cup. Yeah. Uh, you can see what happens like in that. Too many. Um, underdog stories for my liking so um, hopefully you know if we put in the effort we put in the last two weeks we'd be a very tough team to beat on Cup Day This is the Rewind on News Talk and that was Neve Dwyer of Glanmire on reaching the Cup Final where they'll play Colester at the National Basketball Arena in Talla on January 24th and now let's talk about a different kind of story one we certainly have never featured anyway Kickboxing Ireland held their inaugural awards on Saturday night the sport has really grown in Ireland over the past 20 years something which was evident at the recent World Junior Championships in Italy where Team Ireland brought home a massive 45 medals and then again in November they finished fourth on the WAKO World Senior Championship medal table in Slovenia and next on the agenda is Olympic recognition the Rewind's Tommy Rooney was there. He spoke to Roy Baker, president of Kickboxing Ireland. First, though, he chatted with Pat Hickey, who is not only the president of the Olympic Council of Ireland, but he's also an executive board member of the International Olympic Committee, otherwise known as the IOC. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I'm a great fan of kickboxing. Uh, I know Roy here for many, president for many, many years, and I've been to the Irish Open for the last, I think, five or six years. And when I see the crowds that turn up in City West... And the work that they do uh, amongst uh, kids, adults of all ages, it's phenomenal. Roy Baker, President <coughs> of Kickboxing Ireland. The Irish Open this year, you had 3,400 participants, described as one of the biggest martial arts events in the world. Yeah, the Irish Open is the biggest, it's the largest tournament in the world today. It's got, last year we had 3,500 competitors from 40 plus countries. And the most important thing about that, as Pat said, we actually run it for a children's charity. So every year we donate all the proceeds to the ISPCC. And over time we've donated over 100,000 euros to the ISPCC. So all of us in kickboxing in Ireland, we're very proud of what it is. And we're really proud. This is our inaugural Kickboxing Ireland Awards Night for our athletes or officials. And it's just to acknowledge the commitment and the dedication these athletes have to the sport. Pat, kickboxing are going for Olympic recognition. You're involved in the Irish Olympic Council and you're also involved in the International Olympic Committee. Correct. How do you see it going? Well, the first step is that uh, we've got to work to get kickboxing into the European Games. Uh, The European Games is an event that will take place next June. The 50 countries of Europe are going to compete with 6,000 athletes in Baku, Azerbaijan. And it's going to be a huge event. It's an Olympic Games for Europe. And in the second edition in 2019, we're going to try and make sure kickboxing are members. Now, for kickboxing to get into the international games... The, the big games um, we had changes recently in the IOC agenda sports like kickboxing now have a great chance of getting on the Olympic programme Roy? Yeah I mean it, it's a long progress as, as Pat says it, it, it's a process that's got to define you've got to go through the sports committee you've got to be approved you've got to get vetted so we're really going through that at the moment with the, with the Olympic Council so our first step is to be Olympic recognised our second step is to get into the European Games and then our third step is to get an Olympic sport that's way way ahead that's four eight years from now at best so our focus is really as Pat says get into the European Olympics get ourselves recognised as an Olympic sport and then look for Olympic Games but that's the end game we all have to be prepared for a long stage OK so if that's the end game Pat where do you see kickboxing in Ireland at the moment it's obviously grown a lot in the last couple of years I see it has grown a huge amount and I think that uh, it's deserving of huge recognition by the likes of the Irish Sports Council the likes of the Olympic Council of Ireland but I think 
very few events you see in Dublin indoor that has 5,000 people at it. I mean, it's phenomenal. And uh, the job they've done is quite amazing, and I think there's a great future. Roy, from all the competitions that the Irish kickboxers go to, they always seem to come with medals. So if we were to get kickboxing recognised as an Olympic sport, it's surely going to be fantastic for Irish in the medal board. It's, it's extraordinary what the sport in Ireland has done over, particularly over the last 15 to 20 years. In fact, this year, the Junior and Cadet World Championships, Ireland was number one. Now, you need to take that into context. Ireland is a national governing body recognised by the Irish Sports Council, but we receive little or no funds. We are fighting against Italians, Hungarians, Russians, who are fully funded, and when they win a medal, they get funded for two years on scholarships to train for two years for the next championships. So it's extraordinary the level of commitment we have in our athletes here I mean, today. Let me give you an example. I'm saying for 30 years that Ireland should be investing in minority sports. Uh, that's where we win the medals, because we have the skills. I see the results of kickboxing. We have several Katie Taylors in kickboxing. And if we could get sports like that on the Olympic programme, Ireland would have gigantic success. Pat, you seem to have an affinity towards kickboxing. Yeah, well, I have to admit I have to all martial arts, because my own sport as a young man is judo. And uh, so I've been into martial arts all my life. So I can know and evaluate how strong the likes of kickboxing are in, the, in this country and how well they're recognised throughout Europe. Judo was recognised back in 1964, and what difference <coughs> did that make to the sport once it was recognised? Unbelievable. For, uh, 1964, Tokyo Games, and then the sport became a TV sport, Olympic sport, international recognition, but it opens up the financing of the Olympic movement. Uh, it probably means to the International Judo Federation uh, $68 million a year. So that's the like of the thing that kickboxing could develop if and when they get recognition. Okay, the potential is there. The potential is there, the people is there, the commitment is there, and with the support of people like Pat, we'll get there. Roy Baker of Kickboxing Ireland and Pat Hickey of the Olympic Council. Back to football now, and Raf Diallo of Off the Ball and Team 33 is with us. Uh, Raf, we've already heard a lot about Manchester United's loss to Southampton, but uh, let's talk about some of the other weekend issues. Manchester City could only manage a one-all draw with Everton. Yeah, it was the best I've seen Everton play in quite a long time. You know, we've been talking about a crisis at the club and when you're kind of looking at the early stages of the game, they pressed really well and they just there seemed to be more life in the team. Um, and obviously City are, were missing the drive of Yaya Toure, also Sergio Aguero and Vincent Kompany not starting, so it's not like they were playing their best team. Um, I thought it was a, I thought the score was very fair, though, at the end of the day. Before we move on to Liverpool's win against Sunderland, um, talk today about Seamus Coleman yet again being linked with the move and yet again Roberto Martinez has denied it and he always remains very polite in his yeah, post-match pre- a, press yeah. conferences and his pre-match press conferences but even he must be getting irritated at this stage because these things tend to be a self-fulfilling prophecy the more they're talked about the more likely it actually is to happen and Seamus Coleman is extremely talented granted we think he's very very talented yeah. over here because he's one of ours but he, he does seem there, just, there does seem to be something in it the fact it's being talked about, um, and I, like I just have a feeling, yeah, there's interest. It doesn't mean he's actually going to go eventually, because I get the impression that Coleman's quite a loyal player. That you know he does actually love Everton. He loves he loves playing there. He likes his teammates. Enjoys playing for his manager. So it's not a given that he'll go. But I'm sure I have a yeah. From what from from the way the the so-called rumours have been kind of spreading, there is an impression that at least there is some genuine interest for Manchester United. And when you, as you were saying, when you look at it, he is well, he is capable of playing at that level. 
you know, playing in the Champions League. And, you know, it's a long time since we've been able to say we've had a player capable of playing at the highest, you know, at the highest level. He's definitely one of the best fullbacks in Europe anyway. Why have Everton been so poor over the last five games? Up until the West Ham match in the Cup, they'd lost four on the bounce. Then they got a draw at home to West Ham. But then a draw against City at the weekend. Now, that's, that's a massive result. That's maybe not season-changing, but it suggests that their form was temporary and not permanent. There's, there's, yeah, I think... It's there are, fixable. Yeah, there are probably still a few problems in the team. Um, I think it was Pat Nevin on Off the Ball made some really good points about the fact that, uh, you know, the relationship between the wingers and the full-backs isn't what it was the previous season. For example, Stephen Pienaar and... and uh, and Leighton Baines would have had a telepathic relationship down the left flank, and you don't, you're not going to get the same whether it's Aidan McGeady or somebody else playing in that position, and maybe that's affecting the flow of the game a little. Gareth Barry hasn't been as good as he was last season. Um, also, you're looking at the centre backs, uh, Sylvan Distan and uh, Phil Jagielka aren't you know they're they're yeah. past they're past well past the thirty mark, particularly for Distan, and you know once you get past that age it starts to creak a little bit. Especially when you're playing more games, which they are this Specifically, year. Specifically, yeah. Um, mm. I know they have young John Stones as well, who's capable of slotting in, but generally the partnership would be um, Jackie Elka and mm. Distin, and I know they're just past their peak now at this point. And they don't have the depth that they did last year because of the extra games and because of injuries, Darren yeah. Gibson being the perfect example, and James McCarthy. They've basically said, you know, well, look, we have to actually rest him because his hamstring is just worn. Yeah, basically they said um, he's a, he's got the... Sp- a weird profile for a midfielder and that he's a sprinter rather than a you know the kind of lung busting midfielder who's able to just keep going and going and going um it was that was interesting actually because i didn't really know much about the biology of players and if that's if that's the case that's another worry for them as well if they can't play him week in week out um but although they have said that they have come, they like they do understand the issue now so they should be able to do something about it as time yeah. goes on well hopefully look let's talk about liverpool they won 1-0 at sunderland over the weekend but Raheem Sterling has been criticised. He was sent off on a break by Brendan Rodgers, yeah. who's quite simply said, look, he needs it. He's been criticised for posting pictures of himself on holidays. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. He's, yeah, he's on holidays. Like That's yeah. exactly what he should be he's doing. He's an athlete. Know? He needs to be rested. We've just spoken about James McCarthy. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happens when you're not rested. OK, there might be other problems, but he has to mind his players. No, he's specifically been sent on holiday yeah like he's not gonna you know he's not supposed to be sitting down in a you know in a in a lightless room you know keeping to himself like yeah, he's not so suffering concussion he doesn't have to stay in the dark are people mad that he's kind of showing off this footballer life in January when it's just after Christmas and we're all supposed to be depressed or are they mad that he's not you know putting in the hard yards and playing every minute well, he it can could be that like I think there's an expectation that I, th- I think people forget how tough it is to to play you know you know, Premier League—they don't get a winter break. Like the rest of the rest of Europe, at least they had a couple of weeks where there there was a little bit of downtime. Even if even if it was like a week off from training, you know, I think they need that. And Raheem Sterling's what nineteen years old. He's still he's still growing. He's still you know, and he did have the fatigue issues earlier in the season. So you know, this I, it's probably good management on Roger from Roger's point of view. You know, just give him a little break, and then he can come back a bit more explosive in the second half of the season because he is one of their key players and. Look, they got through the Sunderland game without him. So, did they get through in an impressive way, or did they grind it out? Either way, that's kind of impressive, I guess. Yeah, the, it was kind of grinding out, but that's the kind of result they just. What they're looking for now is results because they had a really poor run not so very long ago, just before Christmas. So it's just a question of getting, just putting the points in and trying to get as close to the top four as possible before maybe anything they can manage to do in January. Um, you know, I don't. 
doesn't look like they're getting a striker at the moment. But you know, it is encouraging to see someone like uh, Lazar Markovic, whose performances have improved as time goes on, and uh, you kind of look through the rest of the team. At least they have a system, the three four three, which seems to work. Um, although again I will say Simon Mignolet he has an issue for a footballer that he can't kick the ball which is a bit of a which is a little bit of a problem yeah, his he's feet a footballer are, he, who can't kick yeah, the ball yeah exactly yeah. There's, a, there's a little bit of an issue with his feet and I know that uh, Rodgers is looking for another goalkeeper but yeah. maybe that's just something they need to work on the training ground with him just in terms of his distribution it's a bit like saying you know he'd be a good boxer but he's got an issue with his fists exactly yeah okay just before I let you go how can we catch up with team 33 the football ca- podcast this week we're on tomorrow so this, that's Tuesday for anybody who's not listening on the Monday um, we're on at midnight and also the podcast goes out beforehand we're talking about football films the ones we like and we don't like Escape to Victory gets a mention. I should hope the best movie of I all time. When is. Saturday comes with Sean I will be Bean. given that a mention, yeah. It's, it's one of my favourite f- football it's, films. It's anyway. the best <laughs> worst football movie ever. It's it's actually that bad, it's good. It, it falls into that very cliched it's category. It's not as bad as Goal. Or the oh, goal God, trilogy. no, Goal was just awful. Goal, goal was all right. No, Goal, no, all of them were just awful. They were bad movies. No, Anything, they, any movie that FIFA contributes to, as we saw recently, <laughs> is a bad thing. But when Saturday comes, it's so desperately horrendous. It's funny and likable. Yeah, I actually, I did like it. I watched it a couple of years ago for the first time and thought, it's actually a watchable film. I don't like sports films generally. I don't find sport depicted very well. But I thought it was, it was actually all right. Unrealistic, okay. but all right. Well, that's it for now. Don't forget we're back next Monday when we'll have a reaction to a huge Champions Cup weekend. Remember, the Munster and Ulster games are live on Off the Ball this Saturday. We'll also talk about the Premier League meeting of Manchester City and Arsenal. That game is also live on Off the Ball this weekend. It's live and exclusive, actually, on Sunday. Conor McGregor's battle with Dennis Seaver takes place in the early hours of next Sunday morning. We'll talk about that and hopefully we'll talk about a win for him and Cotter Pendred and the other two Irish boys on that card. As well as all that, we'll be hearing from various managers and players as pre-season preparations continue ahead of the Allianz Hurling and Football Leagues. Until then, take care and good luck. The Monday Rewind.